Blog Talk Radio. My life is letting me down the road that's so uncertain. And now I am left alone and I am broken. I'm trying to find my way, trying to find the faith that's gone. This time. That you are holding all the answers But I'm tired of losing hope and taking chances On a road that never seem To be the ones that bring me home Give me a revelation Show me what to do This is your host, Mark Lichten Walter, coming to you live on this 30th day of June, 2016. You can find us at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the kingdom of God or nothing. There's a chat room available there for you to ask your questions and make your comments in. 
You can also call in. The guest call number is 516-387-1621. You can find these programs archived on iTunes in your podcasts. Look for The Kingdom of God or Nothing and all the kingdom of God or nothing.com. Tonight we will be reading 95 Thesis. You can read along with us at the kingdom of God or nothing.com. Click on Ogden Kraut. Then scroll down to 95 Thesis, and we will be starting on topic six, uh, which is, let me see. Oh, let's see what page it's on here. We, we started reading it last night after we finished our. Um, uh, talking about the other stuff that we were talking about. Um, but we're going to start on page 16. Topic 6 is personal testimony. So there are over 100 um, different topics. And uh, Ogden wrote this back in the 80s, I think. I, I can't remember exactly. Actually, you know what? Maybe I'll go up and see if I can see what year it was written. Yeah, I don't see it. Sometimes he says, uh, sometimes he says when he did it, go down to the very bottom and see if I can find the. I don't know when he wrote it. But, uh, it. Hold on. (laughs) I lost my place altogether. Anyway, but we started reading this last night, so we'll stick with this until we're done with it. I'll probably take. Oh, hopefully less than a week, but it's, there's a lot of good stuff in it. Um, but basically, these are uh, so Ogden, uh, you know, got a bunch of quotes from uh, from scriptures, from um, articles, uh, from the modern church, and from the uh, church during the Restoration. You know, a lot of Joseph Smith quotes, a lot of Brigham Young quotes, journal discourses, that that sort of stuff. And he is showing how things have changed and how they have strayed away from uh, from the Restoration, which is what I've been talking about um, a lot. And anybody who studies not just what the church gives you today, Okay, because what they do is they they've got a bunch of they've got this committee that picks like in a cafeteria what they want, and they disregard everything else. And the church they think, well, you know, I'm uh, we're teaching you what these uh, prophets have taught, you know, Hebrew J. Uh, Grant or Joseph Smith or whatever, and they do but they don't teach you everything that they taught, only what they want you to know. So when you just consume what they give you without actually looking into things, you don't know that there's been changes, but there's been big changes. And it was prophesied, Isaiah and others, Ezekiel, I think, I can't remember, said that they would change the ordinances and change the gospel, which has happened. Another thing, uh, in, in 35, 21, 22, uh, Jesus said he would hide his face from us for a little season. Well, you don't have any more thus saith the Lord revelations, at least not in the church. Um, however, the day of the curse is over. 160 years from the time of Joseph Smith um, to, uh, well, 160 years later would be 2004, and in section 124 it says that the curse would be to three 
three to four generations, which would be between 120 to 160 years. Now, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting that, uh, let's see, well, maybe I'm not right about that. I was thinking, well, Hebert J. Grant was in the 1920s. But, no, I'm not right about it. Let's see, that'd be 80 years. That doesn't fit. Anyway, I was just thinking about, like, what if the third generation would be around Hebert J. Grant, but that's not right. Sorry, a <laughs> little tangent. Had to do the math in my head. So, anyway, uh, we'll get into, uh, and, and if anything else, at least you're going to be hearing, uh, you know, quotes from the scriptures, from the Doctrine and Covenants, from Joseph Smith, from Brigham Young, and others, and uh, and from uh, more modern leaders like Bruce Armour Conkey and uh, Spence Kimball and President Hinckley and all those types of things. So anyway, somebody needs to update this book. I, I keep thinking, you know, I wish somebody would update this book and have more modern quotes from the modern like Thomas Monson, but I don't have time, and nobody else is doing it. So when um, Ogden Kraut did this book, I was talking to Kevin about this, and, and uh, he was obviously down in Manti, I think. I think he was in Manti. And uh, he, he, like, pulled into a motel, got a room there, stayed there for two days, wrote this book, and he was done. So I don't know how he did that without modern computers because they didn't have laptops back then. I don't even think they had like regular desktops back then. I'm not, I think the modern desktop came out in the 80s, I think, and they were ridiculous expensive. So how he did this, uh, it's called uh, study and um, obviously uh, he had a a good memory on him, and uh, the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting. When I was younger, uh, in my 20s, um, and even later, but in my 20s, I, I spent a lot of time going around the United States and Canada, going to different churches and talking to, I, I love talking to the ministers of different, different faiths. I'll walk in there and start uh, preaching to them, and we would talk and kind of discuss, and they'd be like, well, what about this? And I'd be like, well, what about this scripture? And and um, several times they'd be like, wow, I've never met somebody who was your age and knew scriptures as well as you do. The Ogden Kraut, he obviously knew much more than that, because like I didn't even know about a lot of these general discourse statements until uh, later on in life. I had no idea. Because like, I was just eating up whatever I was, you know, given, not being fed by the church, and I I knew that there was things that were wrong. To find it in my mind, uh, saying, "Well, the church is true, but the people aren't," and at least we have prophets, seers, and revelators that lead us. And even though the church doesn't get it, at least um, you know they get it. But they didn't. They don't. And they just uh, they go over the ABC portion of the gospel because it's just easier. I mean, people can't argue with them, uh, you know, and, and say, "Oh, you're wrong about that." Um, if they're just giving you basic flop all the time. And now I shouldn't call it flop because the ABC portion of the gospel is very important. Uh, back in the, the early church, 
they were going over the mysteries. And now we're going over the ABC portion. And I had a problem with that too. But you know what? Back in the day, they didn't have radios. They didn't have televisions. They didn't have video games. They didn't have hectic lives. They had farms and, you know, some manufacturing and people were more uh, wrapped up in the community and they read books for their pastime. But were well read. More well read. I say not how to read. <laughs> and then they go to churches and their their ministers are preaching them. But today we are so wrapped up in so much. I mean, I, I you know what I would like to do? I would like to sit here every night and I would like to turn on my Netflix and I would like to put on a movie. But I don't because I'm committed to this. Every night I'm committed to this. And so I give up my personal, like, leisure time to talk about the gospel. And in so doing, I learned, because, like, when I was a gospel doctrine teacher, uh, eldest quorum uh, teacher or secretary or whatever I've been in the past, you know, I, I would learn so much because I was preparing to teach somebody else, right? The teachers always learn way more than the students. But we should all be teachers, we should all be uh, willing to go to class and to to teach and to serve God to the best of our ability. That's what we should be doing. But most of the people, they come into church. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been uh, to churches, Mormon churches and other churches, many other churches all throughout the United States and Canada. And... So often I, I'd see people falling asleep at church because the, the spirit's not there. And I mean, the spirit will testify to the truth that maybe somebody speaks from the podium. And if you're listening and you're not like dozing off and falling asleep, you know, the spirit will testify and you'll be like, oh, and you'll, it'll touch you, right? But most of the time people don't prepare for it. They don't study. They don't get ready for church. They, they treat the things of God lightly. They get to church, and I've seen this so many times in the past as well. Like, even though um, when I was a gospel doctrine teacher, I would be assigned to teach like every other week or every third week or something like that, I still would study all, all of the lessons just in case I was asked to help or to help the guy who was, uh, or the lady who was teaching. You know, I, I could, like, share my comments and, and help edify these, these, uh, you know, these sheep that are half dozen off, you know? One of the things that drives me nuts, my little personal commentary, but this is a blog, right? Blog talk radio. One of the things that drives me absolutely nuts is this trend I've seen in the church where they are supposed to have a three-hour block, right? You're supposed to have sacrament, one hour, Sunday school, one hour, and Elders Corner Relief Society, one hour. But it seems like in many of the churches that I've been going to, and, and like I said, I go to many different churches. I have a ward that I get to that um, is my own personal ward. But these people will just extend sacrament 10, 15, 20 minutes into Sunday school. It's ridiculous. You're eating into uh, time 
uh, well, we get into the scriptures, so you can tell us about your uh, carrot cake that you baked and how you felt so good that you were able to share it with your grandma or, you know, whatever the story is, it's ridiculous. Cut it out. Sunday school should be a time uh, not cut, not, and, and the other thing that drives me nuts is, so, um, I used to go to, well, to college for one, but um, I used to take these online classes as well. And I took two two semesters just on the book of Ephesians. And I like to use this example because two semesters on the book of Ephesians alone. Do you know how much time they dedicate to the book of Ephesians? in the four-year block. So uh, if people don't understand what that means. Okay, so every four years, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints alternates between the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants. So every four years, every fourth year, you get to read about the New Testament. Once in that block, because you got 52 weeks a year, and then you've got sometimes when uh, you've got general conferences, state conferences, whatever, but you'll have like 48 to 50 lessons a year. Do you know how long we spent in the book of Ephesians? For the whole four-year block, one day in the book of Ephesians. I spent two semesters and we could have gone into it further but the church only spent one day and then they have institutes which there should be institutes there should be bible study like many christian churches you know every wednesday night they have bible study and then every sunday uh sunday they have church we should be allowed to go to institute they should be making youtube videos the church should be making YouTube videos teaching people about the scriptures where people actually are paid, uh, well, I don't know, paid, because they, they pay their seminary teachers, right, and their institute teachers to study and to, to teach. But if you're an older person or you're married, you're not allowed to go to institute. Oh, they'll have one or two classes, but you're not allowed to feast on the doctrine with, with other people at institute where you could actually spend more time in learning. And I have a problem with that. Why should it only be for young people? I'll tell you why the church does it, because they want to get those young people married off. Because statistically, if you can get two LDS uh, young adults married, they'll stay in the church and uh, they'll go to the temple and they'll pay their tithing. Because that's what it's about. It's about the money. So they don't care if the adults go to it because they're already in the church, you know, and and they want to keep them half dumb and blind and stupid anyway because they don't want you to know about all this. Because you know what happens when people study too much? Questioning. And they leave the church. Or or they uh, do the thing that I did where I was like, well, I know the church isn't perfect, but, <laughs> you know, uh, but this is the way it is. 
So anyway, but there has been many, many changes in the church. And most uh, LDS people uh, either they don't know about it or because the church hides these things, when they find out about it, they apostatize. They become, you know, sons of perdition. They reject the, what the Holy Spirit's already taught them. They find out that the church is not perfect. And, in fact, that the church is full of corrupt, wicked, evil men who pretend to be, you know, and, they, and just because you feel the Spirit when they speak doesn't mean that they are, you know, it just, all it means is that they are teaching truth and the Holy Spirit testifies to it. That's all it means. All right, so get a drink here real quick. I'll dedicate the program. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we ask thee this day that thy spirit would be with us, that we would be edified and taught by revelation, that we might uh, read over these things that we're reading tonight in 95 Thesis by Ogden Kraut and uh, have our eyes open to what's been going on. Help us to come back to the restoration and to the correct ordinances in gospel. We thank thee, Father, for our lives and for Jesus Christ and for the atonement. We thank thee for the revelation that you give us through the Holy Spirit. We ask thee to edify us and help us to be tools in thine hand to bring about the redemption of Zion. And we ask for these things and dedicate our time and our lives unto thee. And we say these things in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Personal testimony. The weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong ones. That man should not counsel his fellow man, neither trust in the arm of flesh, but that every man might speak in the name of God the Lord, even the Savior of the world. Doctrine and Covenants, section 1. 19 and 20. And so the, the mighty and strong ones that are spoken of here are the mighty and strong ones of the world. So God raises up weak things like Joseph Smith, 14-year-old farm boy with a third grade education. Amos, you know, Samuel, nine-year-old boy that God called as a prophet. These These people... God uses to bring forth his word, to show his greatness. He uses the weak things of the world, like uh, a, um, a carpenter from Nazareth, or a fisherman out on the Sea of Galilee, or a tax collector, or a truck driver, to speak a message for him, that he might bring down, break down the mighty and strong ones. Or the mighty and strong ones, they are the business suit wearing fools of Babylon. That's who they are. And when the church goes whoring off after Babylon, these mighty and strong ones in the church are in error. And guess what? God sends prophets like Abinadi and like Samuel the Lamanite to preach to them, 
and they won't share it because they're like the wicked priest, of, or they're like the wicked King Noah, which is in the Book of Mormon, and they, they won't listen because they're too puffed up. How dare you? You're not even a leader in the church. You're a nobody as far as they're concerned, but guess what? If they could see who I am, or they could see who these other people were who were righteous in the pre-existence, now they walk as, you know, just regular men on the earth and women, but if you could see who they really were, I mean, so many people recognize me, and they don't know why they recognize me, but if they could see who I really am and who I was in the pre-existence, they might not scoff at me so much. And you know, I thought I, I, did, I was thinking about this today as I was driving my semi truck turn all day long. People feel the spirit so much. Uh, like I, I have so many times saw people weeping in front of me because the spirit is so strong and they're just overcome it with joy. You know, I, and when I go to church, um, a lot of the people in church don't know fully who I am. There's a few but not very many, because I'm not going to, well, it's like Jesus, you know, he couldn't preach things in his own hometown. You know, it's kind of like, you don't really want to mess where you're living. So, but there's people around me, my neighbors, different people, they know who I am. And I've talked to them and I've shared my personal witness of our father in heaven and Jesus Christ and who I am. But so a lot of people at church, they don't quite know who I am. But they always come up to me and they're like, I feel the spirit so strong. Thank you for sharing that, you know. And But as soon as I tell them who I am, and they look at me with doubt and they're like, you know, you're crazy. Or a lot of them just bite their tongue and keep their mouth shut, which is what you should do. Suspend your belief or your disbelief until you get revelation to know the truth about something. You know, don't just be rash and reject a prophet when he comes to you. So anyway, continuing on. And everyone that hearkeneth to the voice of the Spirit cometh unto God, even the Father. Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, verse 47. Reading the experiences of others or the revelation given to them can never bring us or give us a comprehensive view of our condition and the true and true relation to God. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 324. If it was not for the religion I profess, which gives me to know something about the matter by revelation for myself, I would not have anything to do with religion at all. John Taylor, Journal of Discourses, volume 1, page 150. Now those men or those women who know no more about the powers of God and the influences of the Holy Spirit than to be led entirely by another person suspending their own understanding and pinning their faith on upon another's sleeve will never be capable of entering into the celestial glory to be crowned as they anticipate. They never will be capable of becoming gods. And in the young journal of discourses, Volume 1, page 312. Now, since we were addressing the Snuffrites, and all the Snuffrites think that Brigham Young was like, like some of them are like, oh, Brigham Young, that guy was crazy. But then they're like, but the church went on with the Aaronic priesthood, you know, so they admit in a way that Brigham was a prophet. 
but at the same time, they don't like Brigham Young because of, uh, you know, polygamy and, and different things that he did. Blood atonement's a big deal, you know. A lot of these weird things that happened. Well, guess what? If Joseph Smith was successful in getting that temple and the father came, Brigham Young was the first, or he was the senior apostle, Right? God would have raised him up as a prophet with a like just just like he raised Joseph Smith up in the same way. Now, when he became the prophet of the church, the president of the church, the whole church was under the curse, right? But there's another thing too. They had a school of the prophets where Joseph Smith taught them deep doctrine that he was not teaching openly, and so Brigham Young spoke of those things that he learned from the mouth of Joseph Smith in the School of the Prophets. So when Brigham Young starts talking about this deep doctrine, guess what? He learned it by Brigham Young, I mean by Joseph Smith, and uh, probably, and I believe, through Revelation. So, I, you know, I just don't understand some of these people that want to throw Brigham Young under the bus all the time. God chose him as an apostle. And if S9 was redeemed, and if the father did come to that temple, he would have been given the fullness of the priesthood along with the rest of them. Anyway, and in one of my revelations, God does talk about Brigham Young, and he says that he was one of the greatest prophets. Now, Brigham had some issues, but so did Moses. So did Peter. So did Jonah. All of them in some way. They screwed up. They were mortal men. There was only one perfect man to walk the earth. But guess what? The atonement covers all of the sins and transgressions of these people. And you know, Brigham Young was not right all the time. He he screwed up, you know, and he he did things and he said things that were just not right from time to time. But he was the one that God chose to lead the church into the wilderness, just like um, Joshua led the church, or Yehoshua, which was, I, I think it's funny, like Jesus Christ's name in, um, I think it's Aramaic, is Yehoshua, and in Hebrew it was Yeshua, I think, I think that's how it is. Anyway, uh, Yehoshua is the true name of Joshua. You know, Moses and then Joshua, Moses ordained Joshua. His name was Yehoshua. And Moses' name was Moshe, not Moses. I think it's so interesting. And I was thinking about this later. You know, in in Hebrew, Satan's name is Hasatan. And he gets to keep his name, but Jesus don't get to keep his name. You know, Jesus, there's no Jesus. Okay, there's no Jesus. His name was Yeshua or Yehoshua, not Jesus. There is no John, Yochanan, uh, Yochanan the Immerser, or John the Baptist, um, uh, Petra, or Kiev Shimon, that's Peter, Simon Peter, you know, like Lazarus is Eleazar. Like, everybody changes everybody else's name. And none of them were right. There was never any James either. His name was Jacob. 
uh, James is, uh, they, 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 the King James translators changed uh, uh, Jacob to James to honor King James because, but Satan gets to keep his name. You know, Hasatan? Oh, it's now Satan. But everybody else, all their names are changed. It's like, seriously? Let every man and woman know themselves whether their leaders are walking in the path the Lord dictates or not. This has been my exhortation continually. Breaking Young, Journal of Discourse, in Volume 9, page 150. Without revelation, direct from heaven, it is impossible for any person to understand fully the plan of salvation. So you can hear about it and, and study about it and all kinds of things and be a, become a great scholar, but until God gives you revelation, you really don't understand it. We often hear it is said that the living oracles must be in the church in order that the kingdom of God may be established and prosper on the earth. Okay, once again, the word oracle means the words of God. You have to have the living words of God, not the, the dead prophets, that, to have a living church. All right, anybody who has the dead prophets, uh, the Spirit can teach them things out of it. But guess what? God said that there would be prophets and apostles in a, the book of Ephesians until all come in the unity of the faith. Has that ever happened? So the, the gift or the calling of being prophets and apostles never went away. Just because the church went into apostasy during the Dark Ages and has gone back into apostasy, at least in, uh, so, you know, for, to a point, it doesn't mean that there can't be prophets and apostles on the earth. In fact, there should be. So we see the oracles, and the oracles are the words of God. You have to have the living words of God to have a living church. We often hear it is said that the living oracles must be in the church in order that the kingdom of God may be established and prosper on the earth. I will give another version of this sentiment. I say that the living oracles of God or the spirit of revelation must be in each and every individual. Did you hear that? How can an oracle be in an individual if the oracles are as the prophets of the LDS church say? They say, we're the oracles of God. Oh, so what you're telling me is that the, the prophets have to be in you. No, this is, an, this is a false interpretation of the word given by ignorant men who are uh, professing to be prophets and apostles who are leading his church. They're actually leading it. They've been leading it astray. But in little steps, little, you know, cutting off a little here, cutting off a little there, changing it a little bit here, change, until you have a complete apostasy. I say the living oracles of God or the spirit of revelation, same thing, must be in each and every individual to know the plan of salvation and keep in the path that leads them to the presence of God. Discourses of Brigham Young, page 58. No man knoweth the things of God, but by the Spirit of God. That was said in the days of the Savior and the apostles. And it was no more true than it is now. 
or it is no more true. Emma, you can't be banging around in there that loud. I don't care if it's an accident. Stop making accidents. Be more careful. Emma was supposed to put away the dishes before we uh, went swimming, and Mom let him go swimming anyway. So now he has to do what he was supposed to do all day long to begin with. So, I love the kid. But sometimes, I don't know if your headset's on or not. It isn't? Well, I can't do it. There's got to be a different way, though. What's the ID? Um, <laughs> whenever I push these buttons for redial, the ID, whatever, it just makes the thing go up and down. Oh, I did something. He's <laughs> like, you're going to end up hanging up here. If you want to talk, you can just unmute that. No man knoweth the things of God, but by the Spirit of God. That was said in the days of the Savior and the Apostles. It was no more true then than it is now, or than it was in the days of the prophets, Moses and Abraham, Noah, Enoch, Adam, or any, or in any and every age of the world. It requires the same manifestations in one age as in another to enable man to understand the things of God. Brigham Young, this uh, Deseret Evening News, May 5th, 1874. To meet the difficulties that are coming, it will be necessary for you to have knowledge, a knowledge of the truth of this work for yourselves. The difficulty will be of such a character that the man or woman who does not possess the personal knowledge or witness will fall. So they've got to be built upon the rock of revelation. If you have not got the testimony, live right and call upon God and cease not until you obtain it. If you do not, you will not stand. And remember, these people who think that they're just going to have it given because they ask but they never study, they're not built upon the rock of revelation. And just because you hear something and you think it sounds good, that's not revelation at all. When you study it out and you get revelation and you know that it's true, it doesn't matter what anybody says about that because the, the wicked fools of Babylon are going to come up with lots of reasons for you not to believe, like the book of Abraham. This is one of the things that they fight about, right? Because they say, oh, we found the book of Abraham, but it wasn't anything like what uh, Joseph Smith translated, so we know that he's wrong. Do you know what they found? They found 17 pieces of paper or parchment, like little tiny pieces that were cut out, that have nothing to do with the actual book of Abraham. Nothing at all. The book of Abraham was like, I can't remember, it was like a 150-foot-long scroll, and they've got less than three feet and it wasn't even the book of Abraham because it was the first part, and I can't remember what they call that, but it's like this thing that the Egyptians were buried with, and everybody was buried with this first part, but if you were rich, you could have 
other scrolls to go with you into the, in, into your tomb, basically, into the spirit world. Do you know that there are tons and tons of scrolls that mention Abraham and Elohim and all of these things that they're finding in Egypt? Tons. They haven't found the book of Abraham yet, but they have found many, many scrolls that talk about these things. But these these wicked anti-Mormons, they say, well, we found the book of Abraham, and we can prove that it's not true. They don't tell you that they didn't find the 150-foot-long scroll, that they only found uh, like 17 pieces of parchment, and that they're lying, conniving bastards of Babylon. They don't tell you that. And, and so many people are falling away from the church that they're looking – it's you know, it's the church's own damn fault because they've been hiding so many things, and the people find out about it, and then these other people come along, and people are already you know, getting ready to fall over, and it all it takes is a little push, and they're gone. And that little push is the lie that the book of Abraham has been found. Did you know that the book of Abraham, it was as thick as the Bible? The thing that we have today, we have a small little thing and it gets cut off. It just ends. Right mid-story. The book of Abraham that Joseph Smith translated was as thick as the Bible. And I think, I believe, Brigham Young got rid of it because there were so many offensive things. Because we're getting translations now. And I know that they're true, but they're ancient culture, and some things in the ancient cultures is offensive to our civilization. And I think that there was a lot of offensive things in the book of Abraham, so Brigham Young just got rid of it. That's my own personal speculation. I know that there was a wagon loan full of documents and, and stuff that were lost that fell into the Mississippi River. They went through the ice. Joseph Smith translated the book of Enoch. The book of um, Abraham, the book of Moses, the book of Joseph, the son of Jacob, the prince of Egypt, Moses, I mean, um, uh, Joseph. There were other books, the Kinderhook Plates, and they're gone. And nobody has them because they're at the bottom of the Mississippi River, probably just completely destroyed by now. But we have the Millennial Star and in the Times and Seasons and the Evening and Morning Star, news, uh, you know, basically editorial, uh, newspaper, book, whatever. What, Kim? It doesn't talk about it in the journal. I'm just, I don't think it does. But they were as thick as the Bible is. And we have just a small portion. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, like, I need to get back to the reading. Remember these things, or these things, for many of you will live to see them fulfilled. The time will come when no man or woman will be able to endure on borrowed light. Each will have to be guided by the light within himself. Life of Hugo C. Kimball, pages 460, 461. See also J. Golden Kimball, page 365. The time is coming when we will be mixed up in these now peaceful valleys to the extent that it will be difficult to tell the face of a saint from the face of an enemy against the people of God. Then is the time to look for a great sieve, 
You know what a sieve is? You take a sieve and you put flour through it to get the, the, the junk out of it. So that the pure flour can pass through and the junk is... Then is the time to look out for the great sifting tool. For there will be a, a great sifting time and many will fail. For I say unto you, there is a test, a test, a test is coming. That was actually said by Heber C. Kimball, but Jay Golden Kimball said it too. So he gets this quote from Jay Golden Kimball, page 364. Let's see. And you know what the test is? The test is that the same test that was given to the Jews with the Messiah walking in their midst as today, as, as the same thing, it's the same exact test. And the only way you can know the truth, because there's many false prophets as well, is to have revelation. And if you're not getting it for the basic things, how are you going to get it for the, the major things? Because you treat the things of God lightly, and then you expect for him just to bend over backward and tell you so much that you're not even prepared for. You know why God doesn't speak to, to pe many people today? Because they know too much, and they would just argue with him. The time has arrived in the history of this people when every Latter-day Saint must stand on his, own, uh, on his own responsibility as a tub stands on its own bottom. Live the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the dictates of his own conscience and get reward. Otherwise, he must suffer the consequences. Joseph F. Smith, September 1903, Truth Magazine, November 1st, 1936, Volume to page six and also on page 88. Um, actually, this whole thing about uh, each saint must stand uh, as a tub stands up at its bottom, that was originally said by Brigham Young. So, but this is a quote. Uh, this particular quote was Joseph F. Smith, who was the sixth president of the church. But today, today it's, it's totally a different story. The, the, uh, the members of the, the leading members of the church, they say when our leaders uh, when our leaders speak, Kim, I hear a baby who is talking into the phone. It is the Amber Lee. She has the phone. Hi, Amber Lee. What are you doing? How does she have a phone? She's supposed to be a person. More interestingly enough, how did she know how to turn it on? Yeah, I got it. Is it put the button in? Off, Emmett. Is it muted? Okay. That was my uh, my little, what, 18-month-old girl, Amberly. Oh, did she have 30 glasses on, too? What is she doing? How did she get the phone? Oh, they're watching the princess movie in our bedroom. Um, okay, 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 okay. Let's get back to the reading. When our leaders speak, the thing of uh, the thinking has been done. When they propose a plan, it is God's plan. June 1945, Ward Teaching Lesson. 
Uh, and that's interesting too, because they proposed the perpetual um, education fund, right? And uh, that's fallen through. But that was God's plan, right? No, it was the plan of Gordon B. Hinckley. You know, it, like <laughs> they think that they, that they can say just because they speak, the thinking has been done. No, look, we're not allowed to question the leaders because it's God's word. Because they are God. Basically, they lift themselves up above the throne of God. All right, we're on page 18. Personal witnesses. Did you want to read a little bit before you fall asleep? Okay. Um, okay, here. Okay. Um, here, plug this in and then give it to mom. Thank you, Emmett. And that is the Emmett that is helping. And okay, you want me to read all of this? All of yeah, personal witnesses, okay. and I'm going to munch on my food here real quick. Okay, can you hear me on there, or are you just hearing me in person? Okay. Can you hear me, Mom? Okay. Yes. Personal witnesses. He that hath my commandments, and keep them, and keepeth them, he... It is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. John 14:21. The twelve traveling counselors are called to be the twelve apostles or special witnesses of the name of Jesus. I'm sorry, or special witnesses of the name of Christ in all the world, thus differing from other officers in the church, in the duties of their calling, DNC 107.23. They had this testimony that they had seen the Savior after he rose from the dead. You must bear the same testimony or your mission, apostleship, your labor, your toil will be in vain. But it is necessary that you receive a testimony from heaven for yourselves so that you can hear testimony to the truth of so you can hear testimony to the truth of the Book of Mormon and that you have seen the face of God. That is more than the testimony of an angel. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 193 and 195. In the Teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith, page 9, it is the privilege of every elder to speak of the things of God, and could we all come together with one heart and one mind in perfect faith, the veil might as well be rent today as next week or any other time. In D&C 88, verse 68, Therefore sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God, and the days will come that you shall see him, for he will unveil his face unto you, and it shall be in his own time and in his own way and accord to his own will. End quote. D&C 93, verse 1, Verily, thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and come unto me and call calleth on my name and obey my vo- and obeyeth my voice <clears throat> and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and I know that I am and know that I am. End quote. Today, this testimony is almost never heard of. <clears throat> Number eight, Revelation. Continuing. Amos, chapter 3, verse 7, says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. 
end quote, Amos uh, chapter 8, verse 11 through 12. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it, end quote. I see that a lot. But a lot of people, they don't understand even basic uh, scriptures and they want to, but for some reason there's a disconnect in their brain where it's right in front of them and they can't comprehend how to read it. <clears throat> DNC. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. All right. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that, um, that God will give them strong delusion because they believe not the truth. It's a call. Uh, my scripture. Oh, here's my scriptures. Let's see if I can look it up here. We can learn a little lesson about sometimes how God curses people. Because God always gives people what they want. Well, take, for instance, Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith kept asking God about the 116 pages, and God kept saying no. No, Joseph. No, Joseph. But he kept on asking. So eventually God gave him what he wanted. And along with that came the curse. So eventually, let's see. I'm trying to find this. Ephesians. I can't remember if it's before a certain book or after a certain book. Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. Wait, second Thessalonians. I was right. I was just looking past me. Chapter 2. All right. Now, we can get into this in depth, but I'll try to keep it short. Chapter 2. Apostasy is to precede the second coming. What prepares men for eternal glory? All right. Now, people say that this shows that there would be an apostasy, and this is talking about the Dark Ages, right? But let's look into this scripture. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not so soon shaken in mind, let's see, or be troubled by letter except ye receive it from us, neither by spirit nor by word, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, that is the correct version. Uh, The King James has it wrong, but that's the JST. Anyway, let no man deceive you by any means. Let's see. For there shall come a falling away first. That's JST. Okay, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except for there come a falling away first, that the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. Now, what is the son of perdition? The son of perdition is a prophet who turns against God and falls. So you have to be a prophet to become a son of perdition. You have to know the truth as you know the sun shines on you and you can feel the warmth of it. You have to deny that the sun is there. That is how, that is how you become a son of perdition. Only prophets can be son, become sons of perdition. So this son of perdition who opposeth 
And this is Paul speaking after the death of Jesus Christ, right? Who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called of God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So there has to be a prophet and a temple. The Jews had the temple taken away from them. They have not had a temple since. This is talking about Ephraim's temples. This is talking about a prophet of God who has turned against God, who exalts himself above the throne of God, and sits in the temple of God, or in the temple of Ephraim. Remember ye not, when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth uh, that he might be revealed in his time. So this is a future occurrence. This prophet, this temple, is something that would happen in his time, not our time, in his time. Let's see here. All right. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He who uh, now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, it's saying that there is a JST here. We're going to find it. It's in the appendix. Appendix. Let's see here. I'm just looking through my wonderful scriptures here. We're going to read... It's been a while since I've read this. I, I talk about it all the time, but, you know, sometimes you get a little bit rusty and you start misquoting things, so it's good to go over it every once in a while just to make sure that you haven't gotten so far off the mark when you're paraphrasing things. It's good to look, just make sure you're still on. All right, Second Thessalonians chapter... To uh, seven through nine. Now, this is the JST, Joseph Smith's translation, which he received through Urim. Uh, actually, it goes a seer stone, but he he translated as a seer, right? So the mystery of iniquity doth already work, and he it is who now worketh, and Christ suffereth him to work until the time is fulfilled that he shall be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Oh, interesting. I don't know if I've ever read this part before. Yea, the Lord, even Jesus, whose coming is not until after there cometh a falling away by the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Let's go back here. All deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For and for this cause, okay, so there's these people that receive uh, this apostate uh, who is a prophet, right? And for the, the cause, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Why does he send them strong delusion? because they did not love the truth that they might be saved. See, they've got their own ideas, their own doctrine, and they cannot be corrected, right? So because they will argue with God, he eventually just sends them strong delusion 
that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had no or, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, when you keep believing something, even without revelation, and you don't actually love the truth enough to go to God to get it for yourself, as it says in James chapter 1, verse 5, guess what happens? God gives you strong delusion. Why? Because you did not love the truth, and because you believe the lie, so that you might be damned, uh, so that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, the LDS Church wants to say that that is the apostasy that happened, and I agree. There was an apostasy, but the son of perdition that standeth in the temple of God and exalteth himself above the throne of God, people who changed the ordinances of the gospel like Wilfred Woodruff, who was told specifically in 1890, right before he changed things, not to sign the agreement with his enemies, he was told by Jesus Christ not to do it. John Taylor uh, was in the center of perdition, but John Taylor, who was the president of the church before Wilfred Woodruff, saw Jesus Christ face to face. And in fact, there was part of the Doctrine and Covenants taken out after the 1890 Manifesto came because it actually was Jesus telling them not to give up plural celestial marriage, which is a true principle. But they did it anyway. Said so they exalt themselves above the throne of God, and they sit in the temple of God. These are the sons of perdition. Do you understand, Kim? You're tired? Okay, I'll let you, you talk, and I'll just try to get this food into my mouth so that I can read. When It's hard not to comment, but... Oh, it's fine. I'll try not to comment. I could, I could make I this book last month. I know, and I don't like to interrupt you, but it's past my bedtime. <laughs> so now I'm like tired. I can't do that. I know. What happened? You used to take me to work every single night. Now you have to go to bed at midnight every single night. <laughs> but I can't help it. For he will give unto, oh, I'm sorry, this is DMC 98, verse 12. For he will give unto the faithful line upon line, precept upon precept, and I will try you and prove you herewith. Hence, er, this is the Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 4, page 588. Hence it needs revelation to assist us and give us knowledge of the things of God. But if any revelations are given of God, they are universally opposed by the priests in Christendom at large, for they reveal their wickedness and abominations. In Teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith, page 272, what constitutes the kingdom of God? Where there is a prophet, a priest, or a righteous man, unto whom God gives his oracles, there is the kingdom of God. And where the oracles of God are not, there the kingdom of God is not. But if we do not get revelations, we do not have the oracles of God. The oracles of God are the thus said the word revelations that the church doesn't get anymore because they're still under the curse. Um, Joseph Smith says in the Doctrine of History of the Church, Volume 3, page 295, 
If anything should have been suggested by us or any names mentioned except by commandment, or thus saith the Lord, we do not consider it binding. End quote. George Cannon in the Journal of Discourse, Volume 22, page 265, says, A communication never ceased when the people were faithful, and unbroken stillness reigned between the heavens and the earth until the people again repented. Orson Pratt's Works, page 40. When new revelation ceases to be given, officers cease to be called of God. Today, since the manifesto was issued in 1890, the past 80 years have been silent. There has never been a revelation presented for the people to accept or sustain at general conference. For nearly a century, not another word has been added to the doctrine and covenants. You're muted. Number nine. What did you say? In the Book of Mormon, it says the time would come when Jesus would hide his face for, from us for a little season. And it's because of apostasy. Is that all? Okay. He's, he's eating food and saying stuff, and so I'm trying to say what he's saying in this. Number nine, a peculiar people. Exodus 19, verse 5 says, The Lord told Moses that he would lead the children of Israel and they would become a peculiar people. Peter also wrote that, Ye are chosen, a chosen generation, a, generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Titus 2, verse 14. When the children of Israel were chosen with Moses at their head, they were to be a peculiar people, among whom God should place his name. Teaching the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 252. Yes, said Brother Heber, we think we are secure here in the chambers of these everlasting hills, where we can close the doors of the canyons against mobs and persecutors. The wicked and the vile, who have always beset us, with violence and robbery, but I want to say to you, my brethren, the time is coming when we will be mixed up in these now peaceful valleys to that extent that it will be difficult to tell the face of the saint from the face of an enemy against the people of God. Then is the time to look out for that great sieve, for there will be a great sifting time, and many will fall. Jake Golden Kimball Page 364 through 365. Today, Utah is rapidly succumbing to the wave of uniformity that has been growing in the nation. Our system of transportation, communication, our nationwide TV, radio, chain stores, packaged food, theater, chains, clothing styles are rapidly ending our uniqueness. We are no longer a peculiar people. This was the place by Eugene E. Campbell. Speeches of the Year. Extensions, Publications, July 23, 1959, page 9. Number 10, Fashions. Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, making a tinkling with their feet, in that day the Lord will take away the bravely, bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets, and the earrings, the rings, and nose jewels, 
the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and wimple and the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of well set their hat, and instead of well set hair, baldness. And instead of a sum, stomacher, a girding of sackcloth, and burning instead of beauty. Isaiah three sixteen eighteen through twenty four. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh woman professing godliness with good works. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. If the Lord has given me means and I spend it needlessly in rings for my fingers and jewelry for adornment, I deprive the priesthood of that which they ought to have to gather the poor, to preach the gospel, to build temples, and to feed the hungry in our midst. I deprive a people with will by and by inherit the earth of so many blessings. Every yard of ribbon that I buy that is needless, every flounce and every buga that is purchased for my family needlessly robs the church of God of just so much that it seems as though the people do not think of these. They do not lay them to heart. Our wives and daughters seem to forget that they have responsibilities resting upon them in these respects. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourse, line 14, uh, uh, I'm sorry, volume 14, page 18. Sorry. Um, I wonder what Brigham would say about the shopping mall. The President Brigham Young stopped with us. He sat at the head of the table and had me sit down at his right. The president, when everything was ready, asked a blessing. Then all began to eat. He asked for some buttermilk, then crumbled some bread in it and began to eat. He conversed freely on the situation of the saints in the mountains and said that he dreaded the time when the saints would become popular with the world, for he had seen it in sorrow, in a dream, or in dreams, with people clothed in fashions of Babylon and drinking in the spirit of Babylon, until one could hardly tell a saint from a black leg. And he felt like shouting, To your tents, O Israel, because it was the only thing that could keep this people pure. Many of this people, for the sake of riches and popularity, will sell themselves for that which will canker their souls and lead them down to misery and despair. It would be better for them to dwell in wigwams among the Indians than to dwell with the Gentiles, and miss the glories which God wishes them to obtain. I wish my families would see the point and come forth before it is too late. For, oh, I can see the tendency in my family to hug the moth-eaten customs of Babylon to their bosoms. This is far more hurtful to them than the deadly viper, for the poisons of the viper can be healed by the power of God, but the customs of Babylon will be hard to get rid of. Mosiah Hancock Journal, page 47 through 48. There was a time when we could walk up and down the streets and tell by the very countenances of men whether they were Latter-day Saints or not. But can you do it now? 
You cannot unless you have greater discernment and more of the spirit and power of God than I have. Why? Because many are trying as hard as they can to transform themselves into the very shape, character, and spirit of the world. Elders in Israel, young men, mothers, and daughters in Israel are conforming to the world's fashions until their very countenances indicate its spirit and character. This course is to the shame and disgrace of those who are so unwise. Joseph S. Smith, Journal of Discourse, Volume 11, page 310. Today, we live, act, and dress according to the customs and traditions of the Gentile world. When actually we had a conversation with that about with a lady about that tonight and about how her daughter was wearing a dress that the daughter thought it was a little bit too short so she put on a pair of jeans underneath it so that she would be modest and she went to church and not the girls did not make fun of her the the teacher the young woman's leader actually said something posted something about it afterwards after class on like yeah the facebook site for that group said that something about it's amazing what or that the mothers need to be more aware of how their daughters are dressing to church to so that they were like being more um, modest or more in tune with the spirit i don't know i can't remember exactly how the other lady put it but well you're not allowed to wear pants in church yeah because it says so in what commandment it doesn't even say that anywhere in scripture at all that is just the way that lds people think that it has to be because of tradition i would like to say i see lds people take off those business suits that represent babylon and wear tunics like adam wore a tunic Oh, the man dress. <laughs> it's pajamas. It's <laughs> a man dress. It's a muumuu. We should all wear muumuus to church. <laughs> I need to learn how to sew better. <laughs> Kim, I want a muumuu. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know. We did have a caller who called in that uh, had a question mark up. If you call back in, um, Eric, code 347, I'll, I'll take you on on the air uh, for your question or comment. Anybody else can call in as well. Um, the guest call-in number is 516-387-1641. That's 516-387-1641. And uh, if you do want to ask anything, um, just push one and I'll see a question mark come up by uh, your number and I'll, I'll bring you on the air. We're on page 23. 11 persecution blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all men are evil against you falsely for my name's sake rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you Matthew chapter 5 verses 11 and 12 and that is the words of Jesus himself now why would why would they say all men are of evil against you falsely for, you know, it's because if you're a threat to the devil's kingdom, he's going to send people to try to destroy you. If, if you're not a threat, then you, you're going to, you don't go along and have no problems at all. Anytime you are working to build up the kingdom of God, God uh, will give you a great reward for that, and the devil will try to tear you down. <clears throat> Continuing. 
if you were of the world, the world would love uh, the world would love his own. John chapter fifteen, verses nineteen and twenty. There is still the same spirit of antagonism existing between truth and error that there was then. Let a man join this church, probably a good man, and esteemed by his neighbors, and it continued so. But when he became the servant of God, or when he started building up the kingdom of God on the earth, the powers of darkness were let loose upon him. Men began to persecute him and speak evil of him, and his name was cast out as evil. This is the lot of every man who receives the truth. I don't care where he comes from. John Taylor, um, Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 195. When all the chief features of the gospel are obliterated, when we can float along the stream and do as the world does, then and not till then will persecution cease. George Q. Cannon, Journal of Discourses, Volume 22, page 374. And when the spirit of persecution, the spirit of hatred, and of wrath and malice ceases in the world against this people, it will be the time that this people have apostatized and joined hands with the wicked. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, page 327. Ooh, I'm going to put that right there. <clears throat> Hold on, i got to copy and paste this onto a, a group. That this guy's all like, uh, the church will never apostatize, you know, because <laughs> they're only spoon-fed what the church gives them now, saying that they, they can never be led in error, and that you must listen to the prophet of the church, because... When he speaks, that is the mind and will of the Lord, right? Wrong. Just because the prophets doesn't mean that that's the mind and will of the Lord. So, and and this right here, it says the people will apostatize. So, all right, got that down there. Let's see here. Persecution? What? Oh, it said... Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, page 327. Why, why are you asking? Discourses 4, page 327. Are you going to look it up in the Journal of Discourses? Can you read it for yourself? Yes. <clears throat> well, let me read it again. Kim wants to know. She's kind of tired, so I'm going to repeat it for her. This is Brigham Young speaking second president of the church, who the church reveres as the prophet. And when the spirit of persecution, the spirit of hatred, of wrath and malice ceases in the world against this people, it will be the time that this people have apostatized and joined hands with the wicked. See, because they go whoring off after Babylon, the god of this world, and they, they basically are adulterous against the true bride, or bridegroom, the true husband, Jesus Christ. But today the church says, and remember, Heber J. Grant was the seventh president of the church, and Brigham Young said that by the seventh president, this church will have apostatized, right? This is Heber J. Grant. He says, my greatest happiness 
I find in the goodwill and friendship that has developed among all classes of people at home and abroad towards the Latter-day Saint Church. During my lifetime, in place of everyday persecution and bitterness, we now enjoy the high regard and happy association with all denominations. Heber J. Grant, Salt Lake Tribune, November 22nd, 1938. World Friendship, topic number 12, page 24. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19 says, And if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Okay, thank you. I'm not... Okay, James chapter 4, verse 4. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be friends of, uh, a friend of the world is an enemy of God. James chapter 4, verse 4. And that word right there, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Do you know what that means? Enmity means opposition. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is in opposition with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. The world always mistook false prophets for true ones, and those who were sent of God they considered to be the false prophets, and hence they killed, stoned, punished, and imprisoned the true prophets, and these had to hide themselves in deserts and dens and caves of the earth. Remember Elisha? And through the and though the most honorable men of the earth, they were banished from them, or from their society as vagabonds, while they cherished and honored and supported knaves, vagabonds, hypocrites, imposters, and the basest of men. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 206. Brigham Young says. There is nothing that would so weaken my hope and discourage me as to see this people in full fellowship with the world and receive no more persecution from them because they are one with them. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 32. Brigham Young also says, When Mormonism finds favor with the wicked in this lane, it will have gone into the shade. But until the power of the priesthood is gone, Mormonism will never become popular with the wicked. Wow. So in order to become popular with the world, the priesthood has to be gone. I'm going to share that one too. Just real quick. Copy and paste. Throw that one right there. Uh, Now, uh, I'm copy and pasting these onto LDS Last Day's Prophecy Discussion. Uh, that's a Facebook group that I uh, am in, and I, I post a lot of stuff there too. So anybody can go, and and anybody can read along. Uh, re- well, I post a lot of stuff on Facebook in general. My Facebook is facebook.com forward slash lazurus1977. Today, the church says, "Let's see who is this." Oh, surprise, surprise. Heber J. Grant. I am, and you know, he was killed by a, a vivid flash of lightning. 
and that they had to have a, cla- a closed casket funeral because he, he was fried. So, like, when people are like, oh, lightning, you know, oh, better not say that. You might get struck down by lightning. That's a real thing. But you got to be a set of perdition to do stuff like that. So, anyway, I am thankful that where, wherever I have traveled during the past six months, I have found a feeling of respect, a feeling of love in the heart, hearts of many for the Latter-day Saints, in the hearts of those not of our faith. I've heard many very splendid compliments while in Washington by members of the president's cabinet, by senators and representatives, and by officials of government in the Federal Reserve Baking Department. Oh, the Illuminati loves Heber J. Grant. Oh, and he was also in uh, cahoots with the Rockefellers as well. Anyway, and in our, in other words, wherever I went, and with all the people that I met, bakers in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and other cities. So this is, you know, these are the Illuminati. And who's that? That's the government of Satan. <laughs> you know, so these 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 Satanists basically are like, do a good job, Huber. <laughs> I have heard good things said about the Latter Day Saints. We are coming into our own, so to speak. Huber J. Grant. Conference report, so that was General Conference, October 4th, 1920, page 12. All right. We're on page 25, and we are on topic 13A, Mormon Independence. The Lord commanded his people to be sure that all thy garments be plain, and their beauty the beauty of the work of thine own hands. And you can find that in the Doctrine and Covenants as a commandment, section 42, verse 40. So we should all wear mumas. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just teasing. But but it's in there, you know, these things that you're not going to be spoon-fed by the church because they just reject them. Continuing, even the sacrament wine was changed to water in obedience to a commandment I give unto you that you shall not purchase wine, neither strong drink of your enemies, but it, it could be used if it was made by themselves, right? So that's in Doctrine and Covenants section 27, verse 3. And I love this. Because they, nowhere in the Revelation does it say use water. It doesn't say it anywhere. Nowhere in section 27 does it say use water. It says don't purchase wine or strong drink of your enemies for your sacrament unless you make it new among you. Meaning you can use wine or strong drink. What is strong drink? Strong drink is whiskey and bourbon and vodka. You can actually use that for your sacraments. Oh, that's that's heresy. But today they're all like, well, that means water. <laughs> no, that means that you need to get off your butt and actually make it yourself and not purchase it from your enemies. And the reason why that, that revelation was given was because the uh, the enemies of the church were selling them wine and strong drink for their sacraments and poisoning it, and people were dying. That's why uh, that's why the, ch- uh, the church was commanded. All right, so... We're going to go on a little tangent here, and I'm not going to keep you on too long, but area code 347, I'm going to bring you up. So go ahead, and uh, do you have a comment or, or a question? I know. How are you guys doing tonight? What's that? So how are you guys doing tonight? 
Oh, pretty good. Just uh, reading books like we always do every single night, Monday through Friday. Did you have a question or a comment? No, I'm actually like a spoken word uh, rap artist. I wanted to call the shared piece with you guys, a poem, if you will. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time. Let me turn up my headset and see if I can hear you better. What was that? I'm a spoken word artist, and I was calling in to hopefully share a piece with you guys. Okay. Uh, Did you have a statement that you wanted to make? Yeah, something I've written, a poem that I would like to share with you guys. Okay. If that's okay with you. Go ahead. Yeah. All right, uh, the piece that I'm about to share with you is called uh, Reflections of Self. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My evening is darker than they ever been, pedaling steadily. Trying to find the queen to say what's left of it. The wind's is deafening screams wrapped in a breeze that swept me in. I fall in winter's next akin, stiff on my soul, cold froze, thinking of what I'm lesser than, hoping to find the measure, standard to play a point of what I can measure with. Cutting in and out of my head and it's spinning doubts in my better. Hit the thought I would never get. Get about the hole that I left me in. Bury me in the heavy scenes of dirt pouring onto me. Breathing soil, turmoil, the death of me for you. A gift to my spoilers, spill over the cup that run of deeds. I ain't accomplished nothing's what it seems. Thrust relentlessly amongst the shadows where memories die and pale flock the sparrows. Nest upon a path to fast impatiently. Defeats the glutton of a tragic weight. I found my making of a man in pieces. Lost on a path that a walk of life depleted. To fly above the wicked we consume as needed. To soar only to come down for more reason. Unneeded in a fight to need it all. Without reason, draws cause to madness, sends a puppet to the hand that feeds the substance. We are vultures, assuming freedom cage, to a mage won't be fled, we're back to graze, for some still of what we glutton still, and thinking life is real. And that's that piece. Would you mind uh, sharing that in the chat room? I, I think it's uh, something that I'd have to read over to try to understand better. I'd be interested to read it. Um, you know, right, because you're in the chat room right now, right? Or did you log out? I'm in the chat room now. Oh, okay. Wait, uh, is that something that you could um, copy and paste, or is it uh, something you wrote out of a book, or is it something you wrote? Sure, I can copy and paste it for you. Okay. Well, uh, I'll have to take a look at that. Um, is there any questions that you've had about any of the topics that we've been reading tonight, or would you just like to uh, go back in the box and just listen? Uh, no question. I learned a long time ago not to question Steve. Okay. All right. Well, if you do have any questions or comments, just put them in the chat room. And uh, I think I'm going to read... Let's see, because it's kind of it's kind of hard to. Well, when I listen to the podcast after it's been downloaded and and everything's done, it's it's easier to hear because I can turn it all the way up. But sometimes there's this feedback in my headset that makes it hard for me to understand. Um, so I'm pretty sure that it probably went over the air just fine. 
but um, I'll have to listen to that later. But I'll just put you back in the box. Thank you for calling in. And uh, if you do have any questions, like I said, put them in the chat room or you can call back in at a later time. So thank you for calling. Thank you for having me. All right, let's see here. Let's get back into the reading. I'm, I'm going to read what what he said here in a little bit. And, and uh, if if you want to also say, um, Barry Code three four seven. Um, did you write that, or who was the one that wrote that? If you can just type that in the chat room. Anyway, <laughs> excuse me. And uh, the chat room is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the kingdom of God or nothing. Even the sacrament. Oh wait, oh we already read that part. Oh, and if you say that, if you if you share that uh, DNC section twenty seven, that all, all the LDS people will be like, well, that means you're supposed to use water, even though nowhere in the Revelation does it say use water, right? Doesn't say it at all. It just says make your own wine and your own strong drink to use for your sacrament, and they'll be like, wine is against the word of wisdom and whiskey and bourbon and strong drink are evil, right? Well, you know what the sin is? The sin, and I asked God about this once. I was like, okay, so Heavenly Father, like there's things in the scriptures that talk about wine and uh, and strong drink and what it's used for, and the church says this about it, but what do you say? And he said, it's not a sin to drink wine or alcohol. It's a sin to be a drunkard. And when you feel the effects of the alcohol, like when you start to get a buzz, then put it down. And if you cannot put it down, don't drink it. But it's not a sin to drink alcohol. It's only a sin to be a drunkard. So don't be a drunkard, right? Okay. Uh, BNC section 95 verse 13. Also, you can find this in... Section 1, verse 16, I give not unto you that ye shall live after the manner of the world. So he doesn't want us to live after the manner of the world. Pretty easy, right? He said, basically, don't go whoring off after Babylon. You are my bride, and I want you to live in a certain way. But when we go whoring off after Babylon, what happens? We become the whore of Babylon. (laughs) You know, it's pretty easy. You know, all the churches of the world that go whoring off after Babylon and want to be like the world, they are the whore of Babylon, not the bride of Christ. They are actually committing adultery against – that's how serious it is. He wants us to live after his ways, not the ways of the world. Continuing on, Brigham Young said, I look forward to no distant period when this people – I'm sorry, I look forward to – to no distant period when this people called Latter-day Saints will be obliged to sustain themselves or basically take care of themselves because Babylon the Great is going to fall, right? We must prepare to gather around us every necessity of life, to make every implement we may wish to use and to produce from the earth every grain, vegetable, and fruit that we need and not go to any other place to buy it. See, and that was Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 32, because we're supposed to have united orders. United orders are what all things are had in common. It talks about these things in the book of Acts in the New Testament, that they 
are have all things in common. Yeah, everybody takes care of each other. You know, you have stewardships given to you by the church. Uh, so you'll have people who are service technicians and mechanics for cars. You'll have farmers. You'll have people who make clothing, right? They make it. They give it to the church, to the bishop's storehouse, and or they take what they need for themselves out of their own stewardship, and they give it to the rest of the church. Now, somebody who's a farmer will give what he produces to the church, and he will keep what he needs for himself, and he'll be able to go to the church to get clothing or furniture, whatever, to the, the mechanic uh, who will service his vehicle or whatever, um, and that mechanic will be able to go to the church and get their food and their clothing and their things from the church just to the bishop's storehouses and, and to be a self-sufficient community, not to rely upon Babylon. You'll have people who grow cotton and or, or they, uh, you know, raise sheep so that you can have wool so you can have clothing. You know, different people, different things, and each bishopric will have their thing, but then the surplus of the bishopric, they will share with the stake distribution centers, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like Walmart. Walmart has these truckers go into the distribution centers, and they bring in all kinds of stuff in, right, to these to these large distribution centers, and then uh, portions will go out to the different stores all around the country. That it's the same the kind of system, except for instead of laboring for money, we serve each other, and we don't have money. And, and the Babylon hates us because they can't tax that system. So they want you to use their money, the the the, uh, the notes of Babylon, or the money of Babylon, so that they can keep you in servitude to themselves. But we should have united order. So and. We all covenant to live the law of consecration in the temple, and the devil says, if you don't live up to every covenant you've made this day, you'll be in my power, but we don't have one united order in the church. They make $35 billion a year off of their business interests in Babylon, and $6 billion a year they collect in tithes, and not one united order. <sighs> Continuing on. Heber C. Kimball said, now you go... Uh, go to work, brothers and sisters, and get out something uh, of home manufacture, and be as faithful as President Young and his council have been in this matter, and then you shall, you shall be blessed more than you are. He's talking about the United Order. C.B.C. Kimball, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 28. Oh, C. Kimball also said, I would like to see the people take a course to make their own clothing make their own machinery, make their own knives and their own forks and everything else we need. For the day will come when we will be under the necessity of doing it for trouble and perplexity, war and famine, bloodshed and fire, and, and inasmuch that we cannot get them, nor they to us. Or we cannot get to them, nor they to us. He was talking about the desolation that's about to come upon this country. They knew that these things were going to happen. But today... We are told we presently do not have our own independence because we purchase everything of our enemies. We live after the manner of the world because we are an adulterous bride. We should be following God's ways, not Babylon. 
We're in, <clears throat> so we're near, uh, we live after the manner of the world in nearly every respect, and we're being told to remain scattered in Babylon, which also goes against the commandments of God. <clears throat> Page 26, topic 13b, indebtedness to the Gentiles. In Deuteronomy 15:6, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, for the Lord thy God blesseth, blesseth thee, promise thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, but thou shalt not borrow. And thou shalt reign over many nations, but thou shalt not reign, or but they shall not reign over thee. See, God wants you to be a chosen people unto himself, and not to go whoring off after Babylon the Great. You can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 6. In Proverbs, it says, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is the servant and the lender. Proverbs 22, verse 7. Now, we are all in debt to Babylon the Great, especially through these Federal Reserve notes, which is not part of the government. Uh, if you know anything about uh, uh, Jekyll Island, 1913 Federal Reserve, you know, this, all this mess that come in with the Federal Reserve, it's, it's called Federal Reserve to dupe you, but it's not part of the federal government. And I don't want to get into it too much, but this, it's controlled by the Illuminati, which is Satan's kingdom. And we're all in debt to it, every single one of us. It's a, excuse me, it's a way to keep us in, in debt and so that we cannot be free. Doctrine and Covenants, section 64, verse 27 uh, says, Behold, it is said in my laws, or forbidden, to get in debt to thine enemies. <clears throat> Doctrine and Covenants, 64, 27. Now, when Heber J. Grant decided he needed some money to bail out the Utah-Idaho Sugar Company, who did he go to? He went to the Rockefellers, to the Illuminati. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm having a hard time breathing. I've got like, I think I have a chest cold coming on here. Anyway, continuing on. Let's see here. Oh, this one's long. Okay, this is Brigham Young. And he says, quote, If they enter upon their business without God in their thoughts, it is how much can I get for this and how much can I make on that? And how much will the people get for this and for that? And how fast can I get rich? See, this is against God's commands. It's not given to one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. How, can, how fast can I get rich? And how long will it take me to, get, uh, to be a millionaire? Which thoughts should never come into the mind of the merchant who professes to be a Latter-day Saint. But it should be, what can I do to benefit this people? Our mechanics, do they labor for the expense uh, purpose of building up Zion in the kingdom of God? I am sorry to say that I think there are very few into whose heart it has entered or whose thoughts are occupied in the least with such a principle. But it is, how much can I make? Brother Joseph gave us the word of the Lord. It was simply this. Never do another day's work to build up a Gentile city. Never lay out another dollar while you live to advance the world in its present state. It is full of wickedness and violence. No regard is paid to the prophets, nor the prophesying of the prophets, nor to Jesus, nor his sayings, nor the word of the Lord, 
that was given anciently, nor to that given nor to that given in our day, or the word of the Lord given in our day. They have gone astray, they are building themselves up or up themselves, and they are promoting sin and iniquity upon the earth. And said he, It is the word and commandment of the Lord. This is Joseph Smith. Brigham Young's quoting Joseph Smith. It is the word and commandment of the Lord to his servants that they shall never do another day's work nor spend another dollar to build up a Gentile city. And you can find that in Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, page 294 and 295. Is it any wonder that uh, the Apostle Marky Peterson said he would never have a Journal of Discourses in, in his home? Or that Bruce R. McConkie tried to uh, alter the Journal of Discourses and put out uh, a false reprint, basically? And the only reason they stopped doing that is because, guess what? They're not the only ones with printing presses, and there were people printing the Journal of Discourses in their fullness unaltered. So they realized that they weren't going to be able to deceive the people. See, these are businessmen who have hijacked my Redeemer's Church. And these kind of things, these kind of statements go against what they're trying to do, Right. But today, the church, nearly all Mormons are in debt to the Gentiles and something. Page 27, Teen C, Corporation Saul. In Alma, it says, Yea, well did Mosiah say, who was our last king, when he was about to deliver up the kingdom, having no one to confer it upon, causing that this people should be governed by their own voices. Alma 10:19, and the doctrine and covenants, and all things shall be done by common consent in the church, by much prayer and faith. For all things, you shall receive by faith. Doctrine and covenants, section 26, verse 2. Now, the church does it wrong today because they will present something and they'll say, "Do you sustain it or whatever?" And everybody will just be like, "Yes, we sustain it," because the mind and will of the prophet is the mind and will of God, and we should not question authority. <laughs> but right here it says, this common consent, that's voting, basically. You have to have common consent in the church. And if somebody doesn't agree with it, they have to be heard. But it should be done by much prayer and faith. So you're supposed to receive the information and then go and pray about it with much prayer and fasting, and then make your decision as to whether you're going to sustain it by common consent. And that's in DNC section 26, verse 2. Also in the Doctrine and Covenants, for all things must be done in order by common consent in the church by the prayer of faith. Now, how are you supposed to have a prayer of faith when they present something and expect you to sustain it right then? It's kind of like the bad banker, Right. Just sign this contract. Oh, you don't need to worry about it. Don't even think about it. Don't even read the contract. Just sign here, and I'll give you all this free stuff. It's the same way. You know, we're supposed to be prayerful about who we sustain, not just to do it because it's right there in front of us, and we have to make a decision right now, you know? But today in the church, without the consent or knowledge of the members of the church, Without the consent or knowledge of the members of the church, in 1923, the First Presidency made secret business transactions 
evidence was presented in a pamphlet entitled Temple Blocks Sold. We've talked about that in the past, in the past, and we have those documents, or copies of those documents, showing how all the buildings on the Temple Square and others, like the Logan Temple, the Manti Temple, and the St. George Temple, and all of Temple Square, the church office building, the old old one, not the new one, but the new one too, but and the Salt Lake Temple were all used as pawns to obtain money for President Grant and his associates in their business ventures. See, President Grant wanted his own insurance company because he loved being a Babylonian businessman. He was a businessman who hijacked the church. And he got Grant Insurance Company out of the money because he was the president of the church or the president of the corporation's soul. And he hawked the temples to get money to start his or to uh, to supposedly get the Utah Idaho Shingle Company out of debt, but also to start Grant Insurance Company. But can you say wicked? And this guy is supposed to be a, a prophet of God, and he goes whoring off after. And he did many other things, bad things like. Uh, changed the priesthood. Uh, they didn't confer priesthood from 1921 to 1957. Uh, instead of going and getting hands laid on you and the priesthood being conferred, they just laid their hands on you and ordained you to an office in the priesthood without actually conferring the priesthood upon you. <laughs> so many people who have lines of authority and many people who have been baptized today, it is very possible that the person that baptized them didn't have the priesthood. So their baptisms are null and void because you have to have the priesthood. The same okay, So Aaron had the priesthood. How did he get the priesthood? Moses laid his hands upon Aaron and gave him some of his honor and glory or his power or his priesthood. So Aaron didn't, wasn't able to receive the fullness. He received a portion, which is called the Aaronic Priesthood. Uh, Moses had the Melchizedek priesthood, which is the higher priesthood. But Heber J. Grant, he didn't he didn't confer Aaronic or Melchizedek. He just had the whole church sustained to offices. So many people that think they have lines of authority have no priesthood at all. And because that happened in Daniel chapter 12, it says that in the last days that the men clothed in linen would scatter the power of all the holy people. The power is the priesthood, and the holy people are the saints of God on the earth today. And it happened in July, July of 2013 when God commanded me to raise my arms to the square and sever the ordinances of all the holy people. And another thing that's interesting, and um, it says when that happens, the uh, that is when the uh, the abomination will be set up that brings forth desolation, and it would be 1,290 days until the abomination of desolation is set up, and that is homosexuals being forced by the government to be sealed in the temples of God. That's the abomination. The desolation is complete and utter annihilation of the people in this country. That's the desolation. The abomination is being set up right now. So, all right. Let's see. The buildings mortgaged under the uh, under three deeds besides the temple were the church office building, the bishop's building, 
the Deseret Gymnasium building, the Beehive House, and the Lion House. It is interesting to note that the present church leaders claim that any secret doings are not of the Lord. In June, uh, June 21, 1975, issue of the Church News, in referring to individuals or group whose activities are aligned with the evil one, the authorities said they are master, masters in cover-up, yet they profess to teach a secret truth made known to them specially by some hidden process. When people learn that the Lord worketh not in darkness, as spoken of in Second Nephi chapter 26, verse 23, and that he gives no secret revelation or authorizes no secret ordinations, the Lord's work is done openly and above board with the vote and voice of the congregations of the saints, as is spoken of in DNC section 20, verse 63 through 67. By their devious methods, such teachers brand themselves for what they are. But this is what the church did. They did this in secret. They 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 hawked, put up, you know, these these temple properties so they can get loans for their own business. Now here's the affidavit that the state of Utah, County of Salt Lake. One Peterson, Alonzo Cole, and Clyde Nielsen, all residents of Salt Lake County, state of Utah, being duly sworn on oath, depose and say that they have seen in the office of the recorder of Salt Lake County certain bargains and sales, deeds bearing the respective identification numbers, 501,788, and also 501,790, and 502,184, that they have also seen one mortgage document issued by the Utah-Idaho Sugar Company in the year 1936 to Wells Fargo Trust Company of San Francisco, and also one mortgage in Box Elder County recorded in Book 36 of Mortgages on page uh, 329 issued by the Utah-Idaho Sugar Company to the Corporation of the President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for the purpose of securing debt contracted by the latter corporation from Chase National Bank. So, all right. I think this might be the last one that we do, but we're on page 28, and the topic is all is well. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, let no man deceive you by any means, for there shall come a falling away first, that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called of God, and that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple, showing himself that he is God. This is a man who is sitting in the temple of Ephraim, who exalts himself above what God is commanded and just does what he wants anyway. Hebrew J. Grant, Spencer Kimball, Wilfred Woodruff. These, these are the sons of perdition and the LDS temples because the LDS people are the only ones that have temples on the earth that are authorized today. This is the prophecy of our day. Second Nephi chapter 28, verse 21, and others will he and others will he pacify and will them away into carnal security that they will say all is well in Zion 
Yea, Zion prospereth all is well, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and lead them carefully down to hell. Second Nephi twenty eight twenty one. Brigham Young said, I have had visions and revelations instructing me how to organize this people so that they can live like the family of heaven, but I cannot do it while so much selfishness and wickedness reign in the elders of Israel. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 269. Let's see here. Brigham Young also says, And with regards to the conduct of this people, if an angel should come here and speak his feelings as clearly as I do, and, and he said this right before he died. He was going out. He was going to die. He knew it. I think he would say, Oh, Latter-day Saints, why don't you see? Why don't you open your eyes and behold the great work resting upon you and that you have entered into? You are blind. You <laughs> said this from the pulpit. In, in general conference, you are blind, you are stupid, you are in the dark, in the midst and fog, wandering to and fro like a boat upon the water without a sail, rudder, or oar, and you know not where you are going. Journal of Discourses, Volume 19, page 93. John Taylor said, We are getting into such a condition that if we were to meet the Lord, he could not, we could not look him in the face. And the way we are going, it will soon be impossible to tell what we do believe. John Taylor, Desert News, March 9, 1889. He was the third president of the church and also a true apostle of Jesus Christ, somebody who saw him face to face. Brigham Young said, But the majority of the people turn away from the holy commandments which the Lord has delivered to us and cease to hold the balance of power in the church, and we may expect the judgments of God to come upon us. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 335. And you want to know about the judgments of God? Go read section 112 where it says, that these judgments will first come upon uh, upon the Lord's house among they who say that they know me and do not. But today, we are told that all things are well in Zion because the church prospers more than ever before in membership, wealth, and popularity. But 70% of the church is inactive. 29. The destruction of the world. I guess I can go on for a little bit. <sighs> Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew says, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garners, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. And the inspired version of Matthew 24, 44, it says, but as it, is, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also at the coming of the Son of Man. That's uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. So they are eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, having a great old time, not doing what they, they should be doing, and all of a sudden the rains come, right? But God's not going to flood the earth the next time. He's going to burn the earth. So when he comes back, the glory, if you were not prepared to come into the glory of Jesus Christ, you will burn away as chaff. chaff on the threshing floor. It would be like dried wheat before the firestorm. If you're prepared to be in his presence, you will remain. If you are not, you will be burned off. 
Doctrine and Covenants, section 87, verse 6, it says, And thus, with the sword and by bloodshed, the inhabitants of the earth shall mourn. And with famine and plague and earthquake and the thunder of heaven and the fierce and vivid lightning also shall the inhabitants of the earth be made to feel the wrath and indignation and chastening hand of an almighty God until the consumption decreed hath made a full end of nations. Joseph Smith warned that the saints are warned the saints that God will gather out the saints from the Gentiles and then desolation and destruction, and none can escape except the pure in heart who are gathered. Now, notice this: God is going to gather the true saints out from the Gentiles. God has sent a messenger. I am the messenger. He has told me to tell people to get out of the cities because there is about to come a desolating destruction upon this earth, especially upon this land, that we need to get out of the cities and go into the mountains, to the places of safety. And and it drives me nuts because uh, in section 112, it says, you know, these things just come upon the, the house of the Lord, upon my house. And they're like, oh, that only means those people that that lie to get into the temple. Well, if those people are among you and death and destruction is going to come down upon the society where those people are, it doesn't matter if you're living next door, you're going to get wiped out with it. So you heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? Could Lot just change residence and go down the street? You know, oh, the fire won't destroy me here. The whole city was destroyed. Both Sodom and Gomorrah. He had to get out, and he waited until the last second. Finally, he got out, and you know what? My family is trying to move right now, and we're trying to move south of here. There are so many people trying to move, and not just because I'm saying it. The Spirit is telling them to get out. There are so many people that are uh, just buying up all the rent, are renting up all the places and buying up all these places, that it's hard to find a place because people but see the thing about it is they're trying to go down to Payson and Santaquin, which is just a little bit south. It's still, it's still, it's on the outskirts of the city, right? What would have happened if Lot was like, well, I won't be in the center of the city, but I think I might get a place right there on the outskirts. or maybe just a little bit out from there. Do you think that the destruction won't meet them there? You know, it's like people don't want to give up their society, they don't want to give up Babylon, so they'll kind of do what God wants them to do, but you know, if they have to go too far into the country, that's a completely different thing, and we might not have a job, or we can't commute, or whatever, you know? It's half-hearted, it's lukewarm. What did Jesus say? If you are not hot, or you are not cold, and you are lukewarm, I'll spew you out. Why did he say hot and cold? If you were not hot like the the hot pots, basically, he's talking <laughs> the soothing hot water or cold and refreshing, and you're just lukewarm, he's going to get rid of you. If you're half-hearted, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy to enter into his kingdom. God is going to gather out the pure in heart. 
and destruction and desolation await those who will not heed the words of the prophets that are being sent to them. I'm not the only one. There's others. Uh, you know, if, or the Spirit. The Spirit tells them they need to get out. And you know what people do? I'll do it later. You know? And it would be better that you go into the wigwams in the, in the forest <laughs> and live. Of course, I, I was talking to uh, a guy that I work with today, and I was like, you know, it just depends on what you want. Now, if you don't want to go through the hard times, figure out where ground zero is going to be and just go there. Just die. You'll have a good life all the way up until the end. And then I don't know what's going to happen to you, but you won't have to worry about surviving after everything happens, you know. But God doesn't take kindly to uh, slothful servants either. So Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, page 282 says, And we are called upon to come out from among the wicked, as it is written. Come out of her, my people, that that is the... Jesus, um, it's it does said in the book of Revelations, come out of her, my people. That is to come out of Babylon. What is Babylon? Why it is the confused world, come out of her then and cease to partake of her sins. For if you do, if you do not, you will part, be partakers of her plagues. Journal of Discourses 12 to 82. And, and <laughs> now, at one time, there was no Babylon in in the, the valleys of Ephraim, in the Salt Lake Valley, uh, Davis County, Utah, whatever. But we are saturated with Babylon now. So if you're going to stay in Salt Lake County because the temple and the church headquarters are there, when Babylon has saturated Salt Lake County, you're not really out of Babylon, are you? You'll be partakers of her plagues and her descent. Gather around the temple for all you want. You do whatever you want. God wants you to come out of Babylon, and you cannot come out of Babylon while remaining in her. This land is blessed above all other lands. It was foreordained to be the gathering place of the saints, where the Lord would hide up his people until the indignation should pass over the nations of the earth. Hebrew C. Kimball, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 52. But did Heber C. Kimball understand that Babylon would saturate the, the valleys of Ephraim? I don't think he understood that. Um, let's see. Heber C. Kimball, Journal of Discourses, Volume 5, page 20. Am I looking for famines? Yes, the most terrible and severe that have ever come upon the nations of the earth. These things are right before us, and some of this people are not thinking anything about them. They do not enter it, or it does not enter into their hearts. Hebrew C. Kimball, Journal of Discourses, Volume 5, page 20. Orson Pratt said, It will be war of, of neighborhood against neighborhood, city against city, town against town, country against country, state against state, and they will go forth destroying and being destroyed, and manufacturing in a great measure will cease for a time among, uh, among the American nation. Journal of Discourses, Volume 20, page 151. And you know, when I was, let me think, how old was I? I was 19 years old. Um, I'd gotten out of Job Corps. 
and I was in Job Corps, Cliffville Job Corps in Utah, because uh, I was homeless when I was 16. And so I went into Job Corps, which is a government training program. I got my GED because I was pulled out of school a month before 10th grade end uh, because my aunt and uncle wanted me to get a job. Oh, and then like a month or two later, like I came home from work and they were actually moved out of the house. And there was a note on the table that said, you're not a responsibility. You're old enough to be emancipated and you're on your own. So that's how I got my start, 16 years old, right? <clears throat> so uh, I went into Job Corps for a year and a half. I got my GED, a good enough degree. <laughs> um, I got a trade, diesel mechanics. And I got my CDL, commercial driver's license, so I could drive the semi-truck. Now, when I got out of Job Corps, I was 18. It's hard to find a job driving trucks or anything when you're 18. Anyway, but I didn't really have anywhere to go. I had a little bit of money because um, when you complete trades in Job Corps, they, like, put money away in a bank account, basically. And then when you graduate, they give it to you. So I bought a car and I tried to start off, right? I ended up I ended up homeless living in my car in San Francisco because I wanted to go to the beach. And I had no idea about life. I mean, I had no clue. Anyway, so I'm out there on Pier 19 or 49 or whatever that is. It's the famous pier app. I can't remember. I'm walking around and this man comes up to me. It's Pier 49. Oh, and it says, I have a hat that says it. So it's San Francisco, it's Pier 49. I'm walking around out there. I got my car parked over at this museum. And I'm walking around, and this guy comes up to me, and he says, and, and this re, uh, I was revealed that this was a messenger from God. But at the time, you know, this man is walking around as a mortal on the earth, and he says, you see spirits a lot, don't you? And I said, yeah. And so I have my whole life. The veil's been very thin for me my whole life. Um, in fact, the first time I met Lucifer, I was only five years old. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that story, but Bill's been very thin. So anyway, he says, you see spirits a lot. I'm like, yeah. And he says, uh, he, I said, how do you know that? And he said, well, there's this light, bright white light above your head. And they can see it. And it's like a beacon to them and attracts them. And I'm like, okay, this guy's interesting, you know. Like, I guess he could see my aura, or, like, that's what the world would call an aura, right? Well, there's, like, bright light, light, up, uh, light above my head. And anyway, he says, the day will come. Now, at the time, I was starting to get into drugs really bad. I was very angry, very suicidal, and homeless. And... um I was very angry at God and everything. This guy says the time will come when you will lead many into the tops of the mountains while the cities below you burn with riots and wars. You would be a great religious leader and many will follow you. And like seriously, I had a black trench coat Black shirt, black pants, black combat boots, black belt with a silver buckle, and I'm goth. I'm basically like, I want to die, I want to look like death, and 
I'm angry at everything. And this guy's like, you're going to be a great religious leader. And I'm like, are you insane? Do you not see the man standing in front of you? But he said it, right? And I was like, that was so weird, you know? This is so weird that he would say this. Well, now I understand who I am. Uh, some people who uh, are also very spiritually sensitive have seen light around me. Um, and I understand the prophecies of Isaiah and other prophets about being led into the mountains and in the wilderness. I didn't understand it back then, but I understand it now that it'll be the only safe place. And Isaiah talks about the highways and the top of the mountains where the uh, remnant will be led to. What's a remnant? What's a residue? I mean, you've got a jar full of milk. Okay, I got a, I got a mug full of milk right now. I drank the whole glass. There is a residue on the sides, a very small portion of milk left, a couple drops. That is the remnant that Isaiah is speaking about. It's not the whole people. It's the elect, the people who are obedient to God. And not people who just follow a prophet because he says he's a prophet. People who get revelation for themselves to become prophets of God for themselves. We're on page 30. If uh, this is the uh, this is the case, and and if we are not sanctified and gathered to the places God has appointed, with all our former professions and our great love for the Bible, we must fall. We cannot stand. We cannot be saved. For God will gather out His saints from the Gentiles. And then comes desolation and destruction, and none can escape except the pure in heart who are gathered. Joseph Smith, Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 52. God will pour out his vial of wrath and distress the nations till they will learn and practice righteousness, and his people must flee to their appointed hiding places till the indignation is overpassed. Otherwise, they will have no guarantee for their safety. Millennial Star, Volume 19, page 10. And Joseph Smith was the editor-in-chief of the Millennial Star, so he had to approve all these messages. Okay. Um, also, the Millennial Star, it says, the subject and practice of gathering is a great stumbling block to many who make but a partial investigation of the gospel as revealed through the prophet Joseph Smith. For say they, cannot God save me as well in my native land as in the land of America? Why is it necessary for me to leave the lands of my fathers and take my journey to the wilds of a distant continent? Doubtless the Lord could do many things which he never will. There is one thing for certain he never intends doing. That is, to save a man who will not strive to save himself by rendering obedience to the principles laid down in the gospel. Millennial Star, page 19, or volume 19, page 112. I mean, I'm sorry, 212. So, you know, there were people right before World War II hit in Germany uh, and in places in Europe that just had this, this spirit home, you need to leave. You need to, and everybody said, you're crazy. There's no, like, why are you leaving? And they, they came to the United States. And their hometowns 
were turned to rubble. The people lived because they were obedient to the Spirit, while their friends and families died because they were not. And that's the same type of thing that's going to happen. But today in, in the church, President Kimball has said, we, as we have told the saints in Europe, in hundreds of meetings in many different locations, if the saints of Europe will remain in their lands, the kingdom can grow and prosper and God will bless them and that and that I how and that I know, I'm sorry. Improvement era in December nineteen fifty five. The saints are they they know that they should be gathering. They want to gather with sign and the church because of what happened in nineteen ten with Joseph F. Smith in the Reed Smith hearings, the church has told them to stop gathering. But the Spirit's telling them to stay gather, please gather, and they have to have these hundreds of meetings all around the world to tell people, just stay where you're at. You know, the church wants our quantity, right? They want many people so that they can have more tithing money coming into their coffers. God wants quality. He wants the pure in heart. And the rest he learned off. Because only those who are pure in heart, the quality, are those who are going to come into the kingdom. Because if he allow, allowed the slothful and the ignorant and whatever to come into his kingdom, they would just make a hell out of heaven. <sighs> All right, I'm doing one more and then I'm done. Okay, we're on page 31, topic 16, fall of the U.S. government. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This is speaking of the kingdom of God coming upon the earth. This is Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the Doctrine and Covenants, it says, And thus with the sword and by bloodshed the inhabitants of the earth shall mourn, and with famine and plague and earthquake and the thunder of heaven and the fierce and vivid lightning also shall the inhabitants of the earth be made to feel the wrath and indignation and chastening hand of an almighty God until the consumption decree hath made a full end of all nations. DNC section 87, verse 6. Quote, I prophesy in the name of the Lord God of Israel, unless the United States redress the wrongs committed upon the saints in the state of Missouri and punish the crimes committed by her officers, that in a few years the government will be utterly overthrown and wasted, and there will not be so much as a pot shard or a, a Pot shard is a, is a piece of broken pottery left for their wickedness in permitting the murder of, of men, women, and children and the wholesale plunder and extermination of thousands of her citizens to go un, unpunished. And the Aston was talking about abortion. It could be, but no, what happened was in Missouri, the government made it a law that you could exterminate Mormons that you can murder Mormons. If you're a Mormon in the state of Missouri back in the 1830s, 
1840s. In fact, the law wasn't rescinded until the 1970s, 1976. It was legal to murder Mormons in the state of Missouri. Not only that, see, there were massacres, Hans Mill and, and just where these Missourians came in. Now, the government came in, and they took away all the guns away from the saints. So the only people that had them were the Missourians. And the government said, we'll protect you. The government stepped away while the Missourians came in and murdered them. And they, they had no way to defend themselves. It, it was massacre. And those, those generals and those army uh, soldiers that were supposed to protect them, they took off the uniform and they joined the mob and went and murdered them, you know? Not only that, when, when the saints finally escaped the United States, because back then, Utah, the, the place where Utah is, the Salt Lake Valley was in Mexico. It was, it was a territory of Mexico. They escaped the United States to get away from the wholesale extermination of the people of their people by the U.S. government. Guess what happened? Together, and they they rose up an army. And they called it Johnston's Army, and they marched out to the territory of Mexico to exterminate the Mormons. Luckily, and this was in the early start, not the early spring, but it was like in May, I think, there was a fleet, a freak blizzard in Wyoming that basically stopped them in their tracks. They used up all their provisions and they were very worn out when they finally got to Salt Lake. They couldn't fight. They were almost decimated. God fought their battles for them. And it's funny because they had run out of food and uh, Brigham said, we'll, we'll feed you, but you have to give us your cannons and your guns. And so all of a sudden, the saints had military armaments. And in order to save their lives, Johnston's army gathered, or they got the food from the saints. And now the saints had a way to protect themselves again. And has the government ever apologized or ever given us back our lands? There is so much, so so much of Missouri and Illinois that actually belong to the saints that the, that the government just stole from the saints, and the government could care less because the government, even though the Constitution is inspired of God, George Washington, John, Thomas Jefferson. They weren't perfect, but they were prophets of God. The devil has taken over this, this nation. Anytime God tries to raise something up, the devil always comes in and destroys it. So God raised up the nation, kingdom, and the church is the, saint, the saints, the Latter-day Saints. And the devil's taken over the kingdom, and he's taken over the church. Brigham Young, I told General Kane that the government of the United States would be shipped in pieces, and it will. It's coming down the pike right now. It's like, it's like, this is an analogy. I'm the radio man. 
there's a train up at the top of the hill. The train is pulling these cars full of hazardous waste, explosives, all kinds of stuff, right? The train tracks go right through the middle of town, and the the train's brakes are out, and it's coming. And it's coming, and it's coming fast. And there's a sharp turn in town. And the only thing that the engineer on that train can do is tell the radio man at the bottom of the hill to tell the people to get out of town because it's coming. And they don't see the train. They don't hear the train. It's way up the hill, but it is coming fast. And the radio man is telling the people, get out of town. Death and destruction is coming down the hill. And they're telling him he's crazy. No, we'll be fine, they say. That's, that is an analogy of what's going on today. Or people know that this is going to happen and they just sit in their lazy boy chairs and say, well, what are we going to do about it? I guess we'll just die when it comes. They could themselves and their families out of that city. But they just sit there and do nothing about it. A terrible revolution will take place in the land of America, such as has never been seen before. The land will be literally left without a supreme government, and every species of wickedness will run rampant. Father will be against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. The most terrible scenes of murder and bloodshed and repine that have ever been looked upon will take place. Many will come with bundles under their arms to escape the calamities, and there will be no escape except by fleeing to Zion. Joseph Smith, Visions of the Latter Days, page 9 and 10. Wilfred Woodruff, and this is a, a vision that he had. Actually, I think this was John Taylor that had this. Like, anyway, the next the next I knew, I was just this side of Omaha, Nebraska. It seemed as though I was above the earth looking down at it. As I passed along upon my way east, I saw the road full of people, mostly women, with just what they had uh, they could carry in bundles on their backs traveling to the mountains on foot. That actually, that vision is very long, but it talks about all the destruction that he saw in that vision. Um, Let's see. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 255. Joseph said that if they succeeded in taking his life, which they did, war and confusion would come upon the nation and they would destroy each other and there would be a mob upon mob from one end of the country to the other. Now, that one was already fulfilled in the Civil War, which was not about the slaves. Part of it was, okay, and what Abraham Lincoln did was right, but a larger part of it was about the federal government taking power over the states to take away their constitutional rights. Now, I agree that no man should be a slave to another, 
I absolutely hate that. But the fact of the matter is, because he was running for president, they he had a plan to free the slaves without bloodshed. All of them would have been freed, uh, paid for uh, through taxpayer money. There was I don't remember exactly how he did it, but he was for getting rid of slavery. And it would have been done by peace. But they rejected him and they murdered him. And the curse came upon the nation. And that was the worst war this country has ever been in. Like, in this country. But the, the, the division in the war that is coming is going to put that one to, you know, that's going to look like a drop in the bucket compared to what's coming, the desolation that's about to come. Anyway, continuing. I asked myself the question, can the American nation escape? The answer comes no. It's, dest- it's destruction as well as the destruction of the world is sure. Just as sure as the Lord will cut off and destroy the two, the two great and prosperous nations that once inhabited the continent of North and South America because of their wickedness. So will he destroy them. Sooner or later, they will reap the fruit of their own wicked acts and be numbered among the, uh, among the past. Wilford Wilford I'm sorry, Journal of Discourses, Volume 21, page 301. Uh, this is more of a... Uh, Another vision here. I saw the Cardston Temple, that's in Alberta, Canada, uh, preserved from all of this geological upheaval. I saw the international boundary line disappear as these two governments broke up and dissolved into chaos. I saw race rioting upon the American continent on a vast scale. So that's the Cardston Temple vision. It's been a long time since I've read that one. I'm sorry, I couldn't give you more information on that. But today, the church says we should not be heard to protect ills and calamities for this nation. On the contrary, we should be providing optimistic support for our nation. Page 341. That's weird. Okay, the the, uh, the reference is just page 341, but uh, oh, it's just a typo probably. Here's another one. When my or when my when our men may fell in this country, earthquakes may come, seas may heave beyond their bounds, there may be a great drought, disaster and hardship, but this nation founded upon principles laid down by men whom God raised up will never fail. Yes, I repeat, men may fell, but this nation will never fail. That's Harold B. Lee, and I, I can't remember which president of the church he was, but it can be found, Ye Are the Light of the World, page 350, 351. See, they have given in Babylon, and now they're like, Babylon can never fall. God raised this nation up. And, and just ignore all the corruption in Congress and the Senate and the presidency and the judicial chairs in this nation. They're trampling on the Constitution, but can never fall. When it is as corrupted as it is, it's ripened in iniquity. Do you think God is going to allow it to stand? And it goes against the prophecies in the book of Daniel, which say that all nations will fall. This is not the kingdom of God. It could have been, but wickedness prevails. We believe that our people should sustain all the righteous activities and actions of their leaders. We do not feel, see, they, they're kissing the boot of Babylon. These are the whores of Babylon. 
that are chasing after the bastards of Babylon. We do not feel that there is going to be any total disruption. We have hopes that all may straighten out well and that America might go forward. We are teaching our people to be true and loyal in their respect, uh, to their respective governments. Spencer W. Kimball, Enzyme, February 1974, page 6 and 7. So, Nazis, you must be true to your respective governments. You must obey your governments. If your governments tell you to murder Jews, then you need to do that. I mean, it's the same logic. Seriously, people. Like, oh, it just drives me nuts. Like, there's this whole thing in the Mormon church that we sustain the presidents and the governments and all this, right? And we need to be law-abiding citizens and whatever. <laughs> if it wasn't for uh, for the Christians in the early history of, of Christianity – disobeying the laws of Rome, you wouldn't have had churches. You wouldn't have had, they would have burned the scriptures. They would have destroyed the the records. But because you had people who were willfully disobedient to Babylon the Great, you have Christianity coming through darkness. Now, eventually it was hijacked by Rome, and the Catholic Church, that at least there was a remnant for there to be a restoration. But wasn't for the, these people going against the government and, and doing what was right instead of what they were told? You wouldn't have a Christianity today. Are we going to be obedient to God or are we going to be obedient to man? That's the test. <sighs> And, and I, I wish that we could just be obedient to God and be left alone. But see, they don't want us to be left alone. They're going to come. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7, it says that the saints of the Most High would be worn out by the beast. The beast is the government until the Ancient of Days returns. So in order for the Ancient of Days, that's, that's Father Adam, who is also called Michael the Archangel. You can find that in Daniel chapter 7. Book of Revelations also talks about the throne of God, which is the same description in Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 12, you can see that the man who sits upon the throne is Michael, the archangel. He is the Ancient of Days. He became Adam. He is Adam. One of the same. But in order for him to come down with the city of uh, Zion, or the city of Enoch, According to Genesis chapter 9 of the JST, Jehovah, or Jehovah, said to Noah, or to Enoch actually, and later on to Noah, when a people live all that I have commanded them, so they keep all the laws that God has commanded, that's plural celestial marriage, that's the Ten Commandments, loving your brother, your brother, right? Um, the United Orders having all things in common, gathering to Zion, when a people live all that I have commanded them, being the Sabbath on the proper day, which is Saturday, not Sunday, God never gave a revelation to change the day of the Sabbath. It never was changed. The Catholic Church changed it, but God never did. That's the day of rest. Now, God wants us to have our meetings and our sacraments on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. The Sabbath is a day of rest and a day of worship. 
it's different. Okay, so uh, the feast of the festivals, the, the you know the feast of tabernacles, the feast of Passover, um, the you know all of the festivals that that God gave us, all of these things need to be uh, be uh, obeyed basically. That this is the rest of, uh, restoration of the fullness of times, as spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Many people live all that I have commanded them. Then, as they build Zion below, they shall see Zion from above come down, the city of Enoch, which I have taken unto myself. And with that, it says that the church of the firstborn, what's that? That's the church of Jesus Christ on the city of Enoch. With all the resurrected beings, all the resurrected angels and disciples of old, including Father Adam, who is Michael, comes down with Zion, then the kingdom of God is established in its fullness on the earth. Now, there has to be a people on the earth that will live all that God has commanded. But when that happens, when the city of Zion comes down, and Joseph Smith taught that that city is actually that great, that great big old chasm where the Gulf of Mexico, that whole piece of the Gulf of Mexico was all land at one time. That's where the city of Zion was and the land of Zion. And when it returns, that is when the kingdom of God is upon the earth. Now, this happens before the second coming. And <laughs> the world is going to be like, it's alien technology, you know. Because it, it will be because these people are not on the earth. You know, God created the earth. He's not from here. He's not an earthling. He's an alien, right? But we are made in his image. <laughs> but when a people live all that God has committed, then Zion will be redeemed. Then the city of Enoch will come back down out of heaven. And then the kingdoms of this world will be destroyed. And that includes America. And America is first because this is the land where Zion will be established. So and God is going to use the heathen nations, uh, China, Russia, Iran, and other nations to destroy this, this nation. And I've been looking on Facebook and people are posting photos of convoys of UN treks in this country now. And they're, they're posting pictures of troops, blue helmet UN people coming into this country. You've got Muslims coming in, the Assyrian refugees, which if they were really refugees, there would be men, women, and children. But if you look at the pictures, they're mostly men, middle-aged men, men who would be soldiers. Um, you're having Russians come in in this country like men. They're all getting ready. All right, so, oh, crap. You know what? I'm going to be late for work. Emmett, go get my drink ready, and I need to go out of here. I'm so sorry. I just I could talk forever. I could do a four-hour program if I had time, but um, thank you for listening to the program, everyone. Take care. Share this with your friends and family. Uh, I mean, even if it's crazy guy who thinks that he's a prophet, at least listen. You know, and discern for yourself. God wants you all to be prophets all of us. So, um, you know, if you like wisdom, ask God, and he will tell you. How does he do that? In Revelation. Anyway, I got to go. Take care, everyone. God bless. Goodbye. Oh,